Dear Christian friends, if you have ever ordered jumbo shrimp or told somebody else or have been told to take a, a long walk off a short pier or have been told this is your only option, then you have experienced what a paradox is. Paradox is, is either a, a phrase or a statement that that seems to oppose itself, truths that, that contradict itself. So, for example, how can somebody order a jumbo shrimp when a shrimp, by definition, is something that is small, not jumbo? How can a person take a long walk off a pier that is short? And if somebody tells you that that is your only option, well then, by definition, it's not an option because an option means choices. These things are paradoxes. And they have, uh, they're used as literary devices or in speech to, to draw attention to something or to make us think a little bit. But a paradox can be particularly troubling when we come across them in Scripture. Because it appears to be two statements that are true, yet we think they contradict one another. A good example is if you take a moment to look at your service folder on the cover and you notice that, that it speaks two ways. It, it says saint here, and then the, the shadow upside down there, the reflection says sinner. A paradox. How can both of those two complete opposites be true? How can we be a sinner, which Scripture calls us? How can we be a saint, which Scripture also calls us? Well, I, I'd be willing to entertain to take any volunteers who would be willing to have the congregation follow you around over the course of the week to prove that we are, in fact, sinners. Anybody willing to do that? Let everybody follow them around and prove that it's accurate when Scripture calls us sinners? Because we all know each and every day that, that we sin. What's more amazing, one of the most marvelous, the, the most stunning truth of all of Scripture, really, is that though that's true that we are sinners, God also declares us to be saints. How can we be both? Because God in his grace and mercy to all who look through faith to Jesus as their Savior credits Jesus' perfection, his holiness, his righteousness, his sainthood to all who believe. So both statements are true. We are sinners. We are saints. This morning and the next several weeks, we're going to look at, at other paradoxes in Scripture, some of them perhaps a little more challenging than others. And I think it's okay and fair to acknowledge that, that wherever we're at in our faith and our maturity, we might struggle a little more with one paradox than another or, or a little more than another Christian might with a particular paradox. And that's okay. That's why we're, we're going through that. That's why we're reflecting on these truths from Scripture, because we recognize that, that only as we give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to enlighten us will we have a clearer understanding of these paradoxes. And the prayer, again, is, is that not only will we have a clearer understanding, but then we'll be more confident and better equipped to help explain to others to whom these paradoxes might be a stumbling block how they both can be true. This morning, we're going to focus our attention on a paradox of blind faith, which is, is really simply that, that God calls us to see things, to view things, this, his word, in a way that means that we have to look at it differently than we do the rest of the world. And we'll call that 
blind sight. This past week, I, I came across an individual who was, was blind. I had, as it turned out, uh, my return flight from a, a missionaries conference earlier in the week. The timing of it was such that it didn't make sense for me on Tuesday to drive home from the airport to turn around and then go back downtown to San Diego for, for our hope and healing. So instead, I went, I went right from the airport and, and grabbed a, a bite to eat with one of our regulars, Rick, good, solid, all-around uh, guy who, who loves Jesus because he knows that he's loved by Jesus. Grabbed a bite with him, and as we were walking in the, the streets downtown, there was a, a man that obviously was blind. He had his cane, and he was waving it in front of him, and you sometimes wonder when you see that, is, is it somebody who's just legally blind? But as he came closer, his eyes were sunken in and completely closed, and you could tell this guy could not see anything. He was completely blind. And what was amazing was that he, he crossed the street effortlessly, and then he proceeded to cross the adjacent street. Now, you are aware of the, the cross, uh, crosswalks that have the audible sound that tell you where you can hear that it's okay to cross and that somebody's counting down. This wasn't one of those. There was nothing but a light. And I turned to Rick and I said, how does he know that it's okay to cross the other street? And he said, he, he listens. He knows by the traffic pattern that when the cars are going this way, and he can tell that, he's, he walks across safely. And you've probably heard that said, right? When, when a person loses one sense, oftentimes the, the remaining senses are a little more keen. They're a little more aware uh, of things. Now that might be true as far as our physical senses go. But when it comes to our spiritual state, we are so blind and there is no possible way that any other sense is going to pick up anything that will help contribute to bring us closer to Jesus. We are so blind that, that we are lost completely and, and unable to see or do anything to, to bring ourselves into a relationship with Jesus. In fact, Scripture speaks about it this way. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He said, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that's all of us. All of us born into this world blind cannot see who God is or what he has done for us. And in fact, Scripture goes a step further, doesn't it? As you know, it's not just that we're blind, but in Ephesians 2, verse 8, Scripture tells us, or in Ephesians 2, it, it tells us that, that we are actually dead in verse 1. Dead in our sins, not just blind, but dead. Now, what hope does anybody who is blind or, or dead, what hope does that person have in, in figuring out his situation or status. A dead person can't do anything any more than a, a blind person can. In fact, I would guarantee you, based on the way Scripture speaks about our being blind and, and dead naturally, that blind man that I met on Tuesday night would have a better chance of crossing the 405 in L.A. during rush hour than any one of us at coming close to God on our own. So, what is the answer? You know the answer. Who is the answer, right? Jesus. In fact, listen to what Jesus himself said as, as we, we appreciate not only the context of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that the God of this age has blinded all people. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 9. He said in, in verse 39, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see 
and those who see will become blind. What is, what is Jesus talking about there? Well, essentially, everybody in the world falls into one of two categories. The one category is, is those who recognize that on their own, by nature, they are blind, that their sin separates them from God, that we are lost, that we are clueless, that we recognize there's something that's not right and I can't solve this problem on my own. I'm blind. That's one category. And the other category are those that, that refuse to acknowledge that. They, they don't see any higher authority to whom they must answer. They see just fine in this life. They don't need God or anything that he offers to them. And, and Jesus says to each category, to those who are blind, who acknowledge you're helpless on your own, I will give you sight. To those who think they can see, sadly you will be blind to my free and full gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. That is the, the promise that Jesus gives us. So how does he then... How does he offer, how does he give sight to those who know and acknowledge that we are blind by nature? Well, it's this thing we call faith. Faith is, is the sight that allows us to see what those in this world who are blind will never see. And again, if we are blind naturally, and if we are dead in our own sin naturally, then this surely can only be a gift from God which is exactly what, what God tells us about that gift. I already referenced it earlier. Ephesians 2, this is verse 8 now, not the verse 1 that, uh, that we were looking at earlier, but verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. This gift of God, faith, opens the eyes of the blind, so that we can see. And it's about that faith that the writer to the Hebrews is speaking in our text for this morning. When he wrote in, in verse 1, in the, the newer translation, my, I still have the old Bible, uh, the, the newer translation says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence and assurance. A confident hope. Let's, let's explore each of those, those phrases a little bit more. A confident hope, if it is based in the things of this world, really doesn't offer you much, does it? In our Bible class, one of our, our uh, attendees this morning was still pretty happy with all of his picks from the fantasy football draft last night. Now, the fact of the matter is that, that somebody can get the best grade possible in a fantasy football draft and still come in dead last, even though he hopes his grade holds true. And a student can study her tail off prepping for a quiz or a test, and she's confident that she's going to ace it only to find out after the fact that she skipped a whole section of the, the test. See, when we talk about a confident hope of the things in this world, it's really no guarantee at all, is it? It's just really nice, wishy-washy, optimistic thinking. But it plays no part in the, the outcome of anything. So what is different about what, what the writer to the Hebrews is speaking about, this confident hope that he defines as, as faith? What's, what's different? 
its object. Because the object of faith is Jesus. And that is what makes all the difference. A confident hope in anything of this world potentially will leave you disappointed. A confident faith in Jesus won't. Because Jesus is trustworthy, true, and triumphant. And faith in him is never disappointed. Did you hear that? Faith in him is never disappointed. And and I'm guessing you heard that phrase and immediately you thought, well, except when it is. Except for all the times that my faith has been disappointed. And I feel like God didn't follow through with his promise. We had to acknowledge something, and and it's kind of harsh, it's a little bit difficult to hear, but when God gifted you with that blind sight of faith, his concern was not first and foremost how it was going to impact you for this life, but for eternal life. See, he didn't promise you when he gifted you faith that you would have a a leave-it-to-beaver life. That, that any problems would be relatively trivial and, and, and no more insignificant because a, a laugh track would, would bolster you up and encourage you and then whatever problem or, or trial it was would be solved in a half an hour. Nowhere did God promise you that. So when we have this impression or this sense that, that God let me down or my faith in Jesus disappointed me, it's not because Jesus disappointed, it's rather because we were focused on the wrong life. When we focus on this life, we're going to be disappointed. When our eyes are focused on the life that matters for eternity, not only will we not be disappointed, but it's also going to color and influence how we look at everything else in this life. That is the kind of of confident hope the writer to the Hebrews is promising. Many other phrase that, that he uses is also worth touching on when he says that, that this faith is assurance about what we do not see. That seems a little bit backwards. We, we tend to think in terms of we're, we find assurance in what we can see, what we can fix our eyes on, the things that we can touch, the tangible things. And yet, he says that, that faith is assurance of what we cannot see. Now, have you ever thought yourself or, or had anybody express to you that, well, that, that's kind of funny that the writer, to the, that he would explain it that way because my sense is that if God would just show himself, then I would believe. As if, wouldn't it be neat if God would just kind of split open the heavens and, and peek his head through and wave his hand and say, hello, just wanted to let you know I'm here, and then zip it back up and, good, hey, as if everybody or so many skeptics in the world would now suddenly believe because they saw God and that's all that it took. Well, two things on that. First of all, as you know, God did make himself visible to the world. Jesus told one of his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Even Jesus' enemies tried to put him to death. Why? Because they clearly knew that he claimed to be God. They refused to believe it, but they knew that through his divine words and works, he was claiming to be God in the flesh. And if during Jesus' own ministry, when God took on flesh and was here in our midst and walked this earth, if you had people that then rejected him, even though they saw him with their eyes, how different do you think it would be today 
in an age that is at least as full, if not more, full of skepticism and cynicism. So I don't know that it would make that much of a difference if God just made himself visible, manifest, or, or through some miracle. And the other thing is the way that, that Jesus speaks to us. He says, look, here's the deal. I, I've given you my word. If you don't believe that, you aren't going to believe anything else that I do either. And it's true, isn't it? Think of how many college students that have just started on universities and campuses all over uh, our country and all over the world who are, are studying and, and looking at and reading through history textbooks and don't bat an eye to think twice about everything that is recorded as if it's the truth, even though they were not there to see any of these events happen in history. However, the moment you take a history book and you put the letters B-I-B-L-E on the front, then nothing is to be trusted and everything is to be questioned. Those college students and, and skeptics, indeed, everybody, today, you weren't there to see those historical events. But of course, this one is, is going to be questioned. Jesus had a response. He said, if you don't believe this, nothing else is going to convince you as well. Now, if, if Jesus' appearance in the flesh while he was here on earth and, and the word itself isn't going to convince them, then neither will others understand kind of a really neat irony uh, about what the, writers to the Hebrew, what the writer to the Hebrew said in verse 1. Really what he was saying, and, and there's a word in each of those phrases, the, the confident hope that we talked about and the assurance of things not seen, there's a word in the original that, that basically embodies or has in mind this legal source or a legal document, proof or evidence of something. Maybe today the way that if, if you told somebody you owned a house, they'd say, well, show me the deed or, or show me the title to your car. That would be proof. That would be evidence. Really, that's what verse 1 says. It says that faith is the proof, is the evidence. How do you know all of this is true? How do you know Jesus is real? How do you know he's your savior? Question after question after question. How do you know? How can you be sure? Faith is the proof. Now the skeptic says it the other way around, doesn't he? He says, prove it, and then I'll have faith. Prove it, and then I'll believe. But that's not how scripture speaks. It says faith itself is the proof. And not that this is what we're going to hang our hat on, but there's something to be said for 2.2 billion other people on this planet also believing that this is true, that that faith may actually be the proof. Again, I acknowledge that is circular reasoning, circular logic to the skeptic. He's going to say, well, you can't use a thing to, to prove it. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't hold up anywhere else. But remember, the skeptic is blind. He doesn't see what you do. God in his grace, through his gift of faith, has opened your eyes, who has given you a blind sight to see what the skeptic cannot and because he has opened up your eyes to see that gift of grace and your free and full salvation that has been completely secured for you through Jesus, even where our reason struggles, maybe this morning and in the weeks to come, we rejoice. Because 
matter of faith is not a matter of completely understanding everything. It's simply believing it, receiving it. Because the object of our faith is Jesus. And Jesus never lets us down. Amen.